Listen to this line, Frank. Love, like a road that never ends How it leads me back again To Love, like a road that never ends. This is probably the greatest simile to be used as an opening lyric from any song that was a duet in 1986. That's a, uh, that's a very specialized, specific group, but uh, I think I can probably get behind that statement. Oh, thank you. I, d- I did a lot of research this week on that. So um, welcome, everybody, to Guilt-Free Pleasures, where um, Frank and Bill discuss the music you love. And if you don't love it, you will love it by the time this episode is through. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's really what we're doing is bringing uh, sort of awareness of these songs and how great they really are. And even when you don't think you love them, I think secretly you really do. And that's what a guilt-free pleasure is. And you shouldn't be ashamed of loving the songs that you do. For our song for this week, I put on my headphones uh, to listen to the song and I didn't realize how phenomenal the production was on this. Uh, we haven't told them the song yet, have we? No, no. It's uh, The Next Time I Fall by Peter Cetera and Amy Grant. So, listener, when you get the chance, I want you to get yourself a nice pair of headphones and uh, purchase this song and then have a listen and you will be amazed at what you hear. And I, I think the, the production values probably go along with the fact that this is right after Peter Cetera had left Chicago. And Chicago had, through all the recordings that I have heard from them, had just fantastic, uh, lush production values for for all of their songs. So I think that sort of carried through into into this this song and this album by Peter Cetera. Yeah, and this song was produced by Michael Omarshan. Omarshan. And let me uh, throw down some names here of other people he's produced. Michael Bolton, Dolly Parton, Peter Cetera, Christopher Cross, Joe Bean Esposito. I believe you know Joe Bean Esposito from the Karate Kid Part 1 soundtrack. Oh, yes, that's right. Amy Grant, Whitney Houston, The Jacksons, Rod Stewart, Donna Summer, and Trisha Yearwood. So we're talking like this is a high-level music producer. This is this is a heavy hitter. That's that's an all-star team of uh, of musical talent there. How do you feel about the uh, combo of these two voices? Would they be something that you would have predicted that would work so well? It's uh it's interesting. I think they work very well together. I think the song is 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 a uh, beautiful partnership of of these voices. But if I was reading correctly, the song was not initially written as a duet. It was written for a solo artist, or actually it was written for. Peter Cetera specifically while he was still in Chicago. And then uh, after after he had left Chicago, he serendipitously came across uh, the, the demo tape of this song and it ended up in his hands and he ended up doing it and brought Amy Grant along for the ride and turned it into a duet, which when you listen to it, I think it, it naturally sounds like it was written as a duet, but it, it was actually just for, for a solo artist. And you can hear the uh, Bobby Caldwell version of the song that he did in the early 90s. And Bobby Caldwell was a co-writer of the song. So he had a big yacht rock hit from like the late 70s called... Uh, what what I wouldn't do for love or what you wouldn't do for love. And um, he 
I guess he sent the demo vocals with his uh, with his version of it. And so when you hear his version without a duet, it's it's an odd. It sounds really odd. It actually sounds like he's changing his voice for each part to pretend he has a duet going on. So oh, really? kudos to Peter Cetera because Peter Cetera is the one who wanted to do a duet. And then he also wanted someone who was kind of unknown. And so to him, Amy Grant was an unknown. She's huge, huge in the Christian contemporary music scene. Like she was the one. And this was this was kind of a controversial choice in terms of, at least in the circles I uh, I was in as a uh, precocious nine-year-old back when this came out. So... <laughs> I got it. it was crazy, but they uh, they brought her her name up, and he liked what she stood for. I guess he wanted someone who is like had that wholesome sort of appeal, yeah. and uh, it does work really well. Their voices come together great. Although I must say, I feel like she's a little lower in the mix than he is, so I kind of wish she was a bit louder. I'm gonna try to get my hands on all the tracks and maybe try to raise those levels. Yeah, well, I think that's it'd be like your your own Hauser uh, cut of uh, the next time I fall in love. That's right. That's right. Actually, that's a great idea. I think I might go for that. You know, I think we should do we should take songs and, and do our own specific cuts. You know, and, and make them quote unquote better. Guilt free cuts. Yeah. Yes, the guilt free cut. I like it. So, yeah. um, when it so when this came out. Just to go with the, the Christian community, there's all these rumors about Amy Grant. Like, she always took a lot of flack in the 80s because she was really successful, which we loved. But then we also kind of hated it. And so we said, oh, she's going mainstream. She's leaving the faith. And then someone said to me, it was in the late 80s. They said, uh, I had to write it down because it was so... Um, Back then, it was it was so controversial. Now it sounds kind of funny. They said, "Well, Amy Grant was interviewed on a talk show, and she said she was leaving the Christian music scene because that's not where the money is." And I remember being, "Oh my goodness, is, is she's leaving the church?" But of course, looking back on it, there's tons of money in Christian music, <laughs> tons. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, and yeah, Amy Grant took a lot of abuse in those days, and I know that she had like a high profile divorce. And so I think when people hear this song, they, they would accuse her of, you know, looking towards her next marriage or whatever. It was totally crazy. So I'll just call out the Christian music industry. It's about time you apologized to Amy Grant. I, th- um, I think so. Feel free to call into our show. We'll make that happen. <laughs> all, the, all the Christian music executives that, that listen to our, uh, to our podcast. But uh, um, going back to the song a little bit, though, this, uh, this was... Um, was this Amy Grant's like first big crossover success? This was. And to come along with someone like Peter Cetera, who is an established established uh, star in the music industry at the time, well, and any time really. I think this is a this is a great introduction for 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 Amy. Yeah, I mean, she would she had kind of made it up the charts with one of her songs from a from whatever album she released before and it would surprise people that was moving it was uh, i don't know if it was in the 20 number 28 or 29 something like that and so that that surprised people but she was also looking for a song that wouldn't be just like a christian song but something like this and so but the the story behind it they they blamed it on her to some that blame's not fair but they said because she was so devout she had to meet the songwriters to to vet them yeah i I, I would assume that's probably the record label doing that, but she had to sit with each of them uh, just to make sure everything was cool 
which is kind of fascinating because I like if you look at the lyrics of the song, they're pretty wholesome. Uh, yeah. Even though it's about falling in love with the next the next time, but it's not as though you're looking to cheat on somebody. It's a it's a pretty clean song, but it's just funny to think that you'd have to meet with a songwriter to make sure they're okay. What do you think about that music video? When I watched it again, my initial reaction was, was this song on the in the Flashdance soundtrack? Because there's just a number of dancers in it while Peter Cetera and, uh, and Amy Grant look wistfully out windows and sing their individual parts. It's um, a bizarre video in a lot of ways. Like the Dancing's great from what I know about dancing. Like, yeah, that looks like they're doing a really good job. But it's like Amy Grant's looking out the window. Peter Cetera's kind of looking out a window. But it really feels like they're not even, they filmed this like days apart, it seems like. Yeah. Like you'd, you'd think they'd at least be together in the video. I get, I get it because next time I follow means they're not, they can't be together in the video. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It's, it feels strange. Like it's clearly like the song itself. And actually, most of his, all his 80s duets, which is the two that I researched. Um, they they didn't sing together when they did the recording. So Amy Grant showed up and knocked this out in an afternoon. She just showed up, yeah. sang it, and then and then flew back to wherever she was coming from. And then he did it himself later. The video, they're not together. So you only get to see them together on that solid gold video that they also have up online where they're lip syncing and looking at each other. And that's um, that one's actually way more enjoyable to watch. And just like kind of takes you back to that time where it's so clearly um it's so clear that they're all lip syncing and it's just over the top eyes looking at each other movement and it's like they're not making a sound i watched an interview of peter satara talking about how uncomfortable it was to pretend to be singing and so in that era, you got all these people in the audience watching people lip sync. And when I was a kid, I hated hearing people sing live because they didn't sound like the song. I wanted it to be exactly the same. And I feel like 80s, a lot of the 80s stuff was, it has to sound exactly like it would in a studio. I think the idea of anything that wasn't a um, studio creation was bad to me or cheap. And so I think part of what I like so much about the song is all the synth and all the, the 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 lush production around it because it feels so 80s. And I read a, a, an article criticizing this that it's cheesy and 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 80s. But this is what I like about it. It's from its time. It's not trying to be anything else. And it and it brings it brings the listener right back to that time. So if you were there, no matter what you might think about this type of song today, you can't help but be brought back to wherever you were and i i love this song this song makes yeah. me so happy when i hear it every time i listen to it this week i was like oh man this is like this is this is the greatest I believe I have a complicated relationship with this song. On one hand, I I really, really do enjoy it and love the song. But at the same time, 
It's almost a backhand slap. And All right, we're going there. I'm ready. We're going there, yeah. And it's always the next time I fall. So the next time I fall in love, it'll be with you. But how many next times are there? Like, as someone who's been told that in his life, just like, oh, you know, if only if only you were like this, or if only you were like that, or the next time I have a boyfriend, it's going to be you. It was never my next time. And this song brings up painful memories. I've been thinking a lot about this, Frank. And I, uh, um, I kind of uh, use my math skills and, uh, and some philosophy to come up with something. It's called the Grant Cetera Paradox. Okay. By saying next time, here's the problem. Once you get into something, then it, it's no longer the next time. Mm-hmm. It's now the present time. So your problem is the song is always about the next time, but there is no next time in, in terms of a present reality. You are always looking towards the next time. And so you're trapped. And so no matter what happens, this song will always be just a little bit out of reach. And that's the Grand Cetera paradox. And you basically use science to confirm my heart. You got it. You didn't even use science. You used philosophy, but... <laughs> that's right, which is science. So you're trapped in the Grand Cetera Paradox. So I think we'd have to think of songs that would help break you out of the Grand Cetera Paradox. Well, it's the Michael Bolton uh, solution. That's right. That's right. That's a good... I was also thinking Vanessa Williams, Save the Best for Last. Yeah, Okay, but when's the last happening? You know, that's, it, the, this is... that's the Vanessa Williams paradox. That's a different episode, Frank. Yeah, exactly. Do you think this is the best Peter Cetera uh, song? Where would you rank this? That's a tough one. Um, this song is on the same album as Glory of Love, which our listeners would probably be even more familiar with uh, from the Karate Kid Part 2 soundtrack as well. I think, I think that's his biggest I think it's my favorite of his songs, Glory Love, but this is my favorite of his duets. Okay. This is the most successful of his duets, that's for sure, because this was, he's had two number ones. The first was Glory of Love, and then this was his other number one, and that was it. I mean, we know the, I mean, the the biggest competition for Ultimate Peter Cetera duet is going to be Cher versus Amy Grant. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's a really tough battle someone has established a share versus someone who at the time was not established in the pop world as Amy Grant. But I, I will agree that definitely this is in, in my opinion, that this is the, the better of the duets. And I think it's might not be because it's technically better if by technically, I mean, technical, which is what technically means. Uh, but what I mean is in terms of reaching into your heart and in your case, pulling it out, um, yeah, uh, but putting it back in at certain times, you know, just sort of like, yeah, just, just, you know, teasing. That's right. Uh, the, the key thing with hope is if you're always hoping, you never arrive there. But it's, it's the journey, not the destination. We're, we're getting very, very deep here with uh, a lot of pop culture sort of philosophical, philosophy uh, uh, sound bites here. If you were to think of categories that go with this song, 
what what would you rank these in? Would you have any categories off the top of your head? Like if you were to say, okay, favorite duet of all time, is this would this this would rank in there? For me, it would. I think this is one of my all time favorite duets. It's in the it's in the top twenty five for sure. Um, I haven't really put any too much thought into it, so you know I'm leaving a lot of room for error here. You left a lot uh, of room for error there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to say a top five. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of James Ingram and uh, and uh, Linda Ronstadt uh, um, duets that I that I enjoy quite a bit. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, how about I got this from my brother? He said this would be. A song that you'd have at a wedding, but it can't be the song that the bride and groom dance to because the topic is about the next person you fall in love with, not the one you're dancing with. But he said he felt it could follow up the uh, the bride and groom dance. Yeah, for like the divorced couples or something, right? <laughs> exactly. That's right. <laughs> and now I, I think this is a, a great time to segue into uh, a segment that we've called, Would Chris Newkirk Like This Song? Chris Newkirk is a is a friend of ours who has roots in the music industry, so his opinion is a uh, very respected uh, by by Bill and myself here. This is going to be pretty exciting. I'm looking forward to this. Yes, yes, so am I. Chris, welcome to Guilt Free Pleasures. It's uh, a pleasure to finally have you vocally on our show. Yeah, this is the first time that we get to, we get the live version instead of just reading something that he wrote down for us. <laughs> <laughs> well you know i can send something after the fact if you could just for consistency yeah all, all the things i didn't get to say yeah. <laughs> so uh i've already let you know that we've decided to do next time i fall by peter satara and amy grant it's going right for the jugular that's right and uh we're used to uh chris newkirk you know taking a taking a um oh, what's a kind way of putting this <laughs> Uh, taking a real shot at our uh, at the things we love, but uh, I think we finally were able to uh, strike oil here. I, I attempt to sometimes make you feel guilty, I, I suppose, right, or at least some sense of shame. Yeah. But I, I think here kind of found the soft underbelly of uh, of Chris Newkirk. You found the nostalgia underbelly. That's oh, what you okay. found. You okay. found. We're looking forward to hearing all about it. So I'm going to lead you through some guiding questions, Chris, but I don't want to get that in the way of your flow, you being a creative and all. So, oh, yeah. Um, and all. First question is, what do you think about or feel when you listen to this song? Yeah, I mean, I have a literal, uh, visual, visceral memory. So it's it's not an abstraction I'm going to offer up to you. It's me driving uh, to or from school on a road. I think it was called Stelton Road in Piscataway, New Jersey. I went to this private Christian school my last couple years of high school, which dovetails nicely into the Amy Grant <laughs> piece of this song, right? Uh, but yeah, this song was fairly massive for more than a hot second. And you know, I went to that kind of school where kids like this kind of music. Uh, I was a, sort of an oddball for for liking what I liked, but this was before I found my favorite bands. I was probably 16 when it came out, 17 when I was driving down the road. And that's when I sort of had my own personal awakening into, you know, this music's not really reaching me anymore. <laughs> what, what do I want to hear? What, what, what feeds me? Um, but this song uh, had that romanticism where you have your teenage crush or you have your, 
unrequited love. You have the the person you're flirting with, whatever it is. I don't know what world of romance or otherwise I was living in at that time, but the song resonated to that romantic side of me as I'm newly minted driver driving the roads of New Jersey, which is a scary scenario as is a newly minted driver on the roads of New Jersey. My wife will tell you as someone who lived in your neck of the woods that being a you know, driver of some 20 plus years before moving here <laughs> was scary enough. Anyway, driving down those roads was, uh, with this song playing is, is my memory. And it flashes me back to that moment uh, of driving down the road and really being into this song that w- at least that one time. The comment that you made that I liked was, uh, you know, I'm not sure what world I was living in, but I, I think we were all living in the same world at the same time it, it, when it when it comes to this song yeah it, it evokes especially if you're you know i was a teenager when it came out it, it immediately is evocative of romance and it makes you want to fall in love or it makes you think that you're going to fall in love with this person that person's going to like you back or what have you at least the next just time takes right? you, it's not quite the glory of love no but it takes you to a place this one, I know for me, when I hear it, it wants me to want somebody and to feel the sort of unrequited love, but the hope that it was going to be coming. And so living in that space felt good, even though uh, it was also kind of a depressing space, but somehow the song made it so hopeful. Well, it's teenage romance anyway. It should be sort of outlawed. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes. But that's what makes music so memorable, too. We tie it to those longing moments uh those interpersonal longing moments that where we think we're part of this romantic ecosystem that we're really so far away from would chris newkirk write a song like this could chris newkirk write a song like this if he tried yes <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good song it's a great song the you're right you lo- it's a, the, <laughs> the fact that we like it you know what's great about it is their voices. Yes. I mean, yes. The, Satara has this sort of like exquisitely distinctive voice. It's just It's it's almost metallic. No, it, I could write the song. I could never sing that song. <laughs> Come on. It's impossible. That guy. I did some research today about this, and one of the distinctive parts about his voice is that he barely opens his mouth because he went to a Chicago Cubs LA Dodgers game. And a bunch of Marines were there, and they made fun of him and called him a hippie and pushed him. And he turned around, and then they clocked him, breaking his jaw in three places. And so while he was in the hospital for like three weeks or whatever, as he's waiting for his jaw to heal, he started to think about songs he wanted to write. It it sort of changed his sort of career trajectory. But when he started singing again, he was so afraid that his jaw would lock. So this is while Chicago was that jazzy, funky Robert Lamb and Peter Cetera playing bass or something, That's right, right? exactly. And so I think part of his voice's power is that he barely opens his mouth. I feel like Amy Grant also barely opens her mouth. Like She's not like Cher, if I'm thinking of the other great Peter Cetera duet. Chris, I'm sure you're familiar (laughs) with this. Uh, But Cher would be a big open mouth. But I think Amy Grant and Peter Cetera both barely open their mouths. That's what I was thinking. Somehow lent power to this song. It's kind of like the Tom York fork in the eye story, if you ever... (laughs) Oh, is that why his wonky eye? Because he like stabbed himself with a fork, or someone did. Gee, I I don't have the full story like you have the baseball uh, stating story, but yeah, right. 
all great artists need to have some sort of accident. So, Chris, what do you think your big accident's going to be? Wow, going to be. Okay, sounds so menacing. (laughs) First of all, you prefaced that with great artists. So I think we're going to have to kind of back that up a little bit. How about uh, wannabe artist? And then that might, we could start there. So in the song, yeah, because you talked about their voices being the, a big part of it. What part of the song, if someone were to say to you, next time I fall, what do you hear? Like, what part of the song do you hear in your head as soon as they mention it to you? Because usually I go back to a part of the song that just starts ringing in my ear. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's the, I think the whole song is the chorus. Um, I mean, the, the verses are pleasant. But they get right to the chorus. It's it's a short setup. They have the back and forth, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the chorus is where their voices overlap and they're harmonizing and they do sound good together. I mean, he's got a bigger voice and a more unique voice, but she has a very pleasant voice blended with his. And it's pleasant in general. It's time. That chorus is the song. Because I mean, I think a lot of these 80s songs sound like backing tracks that you just press play and people go out and sing to. They don't really feel like substantial songs. It's like these light keyboard lines. They're not really rooted. I mean, these are songs that people could make for a hundred bucks today, it feels like, to some degree. These are like it's just a lot of synths and, and keyboards overlapping each other. I mean, I guess you can get a little bit more clinical and break it down and and find those, you know, that big piano that you can only do in a studio, you know, that, you know, Satara is a bass player. I'm sure there's a lot of thoughtfulness on there, but I mean, for the most part, it's a lot of like interweaving keyboard lines. It's very light and airy and it's all about the vocals and those chord progressions that lay the foundation. And, you know, the lyrics are kind of whatever, but I mean, the chorus, it has a little bit of a twist, right? Next time I fall in love, it'll be with you. I mean, it's kind of, there's a cleverness to that. It's a twist of some sort, right? So that's that's something, but it's really the it's the melody and the voices working together and that's that's what I think of. It's big. Their voices are big. That the hook is big. The song isn't like the music isn't big. It's all I think it's all in the vocal performance. The melody and, and their voices. I I feel like the music doesn't get in the way of what they're doing, which is the sort of genius of uh, Michael O'Martian, producer extraordinaire. Oh, wow. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. A little name dropping there. I don't want to try to brag about all the things I know about him. Frank, what about you? What's your, what sticks in your head when you hear it? No, uh, I think Chris is right. And it's it's the chorus that really hits you. And and it's that, uh, um, the, the classic sort of Peter Cetera, um, when he says, the next time I fall, and he does that, ooh, ooh, That part, that really, yes. right, it, right in my head, that, that classic just, Cetera. It has, uh, is going on repeat in, uh, in my head constantly. You just know Peter Cetera is a guy that writes the ooh, ooh, oohs in the lyric, lyric yeah. key, right? <laughs> you just know he's that guy. I, 
I have that written right in front of me underneath my question. I have O written down about five times a red pen <laughs> going across my... <laughs> yeah. I love the wavy synth. I don't know if it's a wave, but I'll I'll uh, I'll play it. But this wavy thing is just... Uh, every time I hear parts of the song, I just hear this background keyboards playing in my head. It's perfect. kind of spoke on this uh uh previously but chris what do you think about this song as being and, and we kind of alluded to the fact uh the song being it's a hopeful song but it's a bit of a tease song in terms of the next time i fall in love it'll be with you always seems like there's a next time a next time the next time it's like when is the next time and when is it you do you find that? Well, too? that's the teenage. That's the teenage question yeah. you're asking there, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I think you know the line starts with the worst lyric of the song. Love, like a road that never ends. Song outside of the chorus. Bill, Bill is about to throw down with um, you. I think. <laughs> <laughs> love like like a road like a road that never ends. Yeah, yeah. Come on, a road that never ends is. That's a that's an end for me usually. Okay, that's a good call because it leads to heartache, but that the heartache would be the end of the road, and uh, and that that's another boys to men episode. So <laughs> it's just it's a tired it's a tired lyrical cliche that ends up coming across something like a mixed metaphor, and you know it just sucks. That having been said, I mean what it's like a it's like a redemption song, right? It's like you're wondering whether this they are trying again the next time they fall in love with each other like they've fallen in love before or that they should have fallen in love and now you know now their their paths are going to cross with some you know intentionality and destiny and okay so yeah i mean it's it feels feels hopeful and and maybe even you know in a calvinist sense uh, predestined so (laughs) i don't know i don't really care i mean i it's not. There's no depth to it for me outside of a couple that that little twist in the chorus, and it's pure nostalgia. It's a pure nostalgia listen for me. So if we were to take somebody who's never heard this song before and have them listen to it, what are the chances that they're going to say, "Wow, that's a that's a banger"? How old is this person you're going to play? Uh, okay, let's uh, uh, let's say sixteen. Sixteen. Yeah. I'd say there's a 25% chance they'd say it's a banger. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. I think, you know, the great thing about like Gen Z and the, the teenage and early 20s is they listen to anything and everything. And they'll listen to Peter Cetera and the Dead Kennedys back to back. And then Ariana Grande, of course, or something like that. Uh, it raises your, your chances. I'd say you play it to a millennial that didn't grow up with this and you're shot, you're done. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it will resonate as much as they'll be like, Oh, their voices are pretty. Or the, it doesn't. Yeah, the production's not going to no do beat. it. There's no beat. There's no beat, and I think you know today's music sort of relies on on that backbone. I mean, I feel like there's always a counterpoint song, and for me, the counterpoint song. I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, there's so many songs about with the phrase "falling in love" or some variation of that. And for me, the cool counterpoint song is a song by the Buzzcocks. And was later covered by Fun Young Cannibals, which is Ever Fallen in Love. 
with somebody you didn't even fall in love with or somebody you shouldn't have fallen in love with. And it's like, it's a 70s, you know, it's like from the late 70s, it's a punk rock song. But it's certainly more, not musically thoughtfully created, but lyrically, it's even more interesting. Um, even that, even that chorus hook, like, you know, I think there's a, there's a similarity in, <laughs> I'm just going to take your show over for yeah, a minute yeah. here. Don't worry, we're going to cut me. all this out. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> You'd be smart too. But you know, the, the Amy Grant, Peter Cetera, it's a, the next time I fall in love, it will be with you. And that's, that's the fun twist. Here it's ever fall in love with somebody you shouldn't have fallen in love with. That's the twist, right? So it's that sort of, you know, there's sort of an irony in it, it, in both of them, a situational irony at the very least. I don't know. Uh, I'm probably stretching the definition of irony, not so much as Alanis Morissette, but enough to, to get dinged a bit. Um, but it's just a cool song and, and the lyrics are, and the rhymes are, are just a little sharper and smarter and it makes me feel a little cooler for listening to it. And that's my job with, with you, Bill and Frank is to <laughs> give you some, to send you off to listen to something else. That's, a, I think, the counterpoint. Here's, here's my, this is what I'm going to do every time is give you the cool counterpoint uh, for me. And then we'll counter counterpoint that with uh, something like the Michael, uh, Michael Bolton anthology. Well, the whole anthology. Yes. Frank and I also have uh, we we have songs as well to uh, to play alongside of this. Uh, Frank, do you oh. do you have one? Well, this is a this that is might a fit to this universe. Yeah, songs that are in the same universe, and uh, mine is is another uh, duet that would be uh, somewhere out there by uh, by uh, Linda Ronsett and James Ingram. Wasn't that from like Aladdin no. or something? Was it from a movie? Yes. I'm embarrassed for you right now. From an American tale. <laughs> American tale. I just saw that a couple of weeks ago with my, my almost eight-year-old. Yeah, you wouldn't think it was two mice singing to each other who were brother and sister, the way the song goes. But uh, but in the in the Linda Ronstadt version, it's certainly they're in love. Okay. And I would like to also throw down Vanessa Williams' Save the Best for Last. I don't know if I know. Yeah, I think by then yeah, you're long gone out of uh, out of that type of music. Oh yeah. Well, I could hum and sing somewhere out there off the top of my head, so it was pretty ubiquitous. But the Vanessa Williams track on yeah, I think we're yeah, that's early '90s. Yeah, '92, '93, I think. But that's the one waiting for somebody. I'm at that point, sort of like building a wall around around the pop music uh, and protesting and diving into. The strange sundry sounds of loud indie rock bands at that point, and, but I could I I do remember some Wilson Phillips from that time. Yes, see, he is one of us. <laughs> Good talk. Yeah. Well, Frank, what do you what do you think? Do you have anything more you want to th- throw at Chris? Oh, geez, I don't know if there's a, anything else that we need to throw at Chris or should throw at Chris. But I, I want to bring up a uh, um, another another point here or another another song. So this was the big duet with uh, Peter Cetera uh, uh, and Amy Amy Grant, and then there's the duet Peter Cetera and Cher. But there's a third one that a lot of people forget about. Uh, from his 92 album, Feels Like Heaven with Shaka Khan. And I I would like to implore our listeners to listen to that. It's an unsung hero of the Peter Cetera duets. Is it as good as Shaka Khan performing with Stevie Winwood? Uh, I don't think 
anything is as good as that. No, I, I, I would. If you, no, <laughs> definitive no. Okay, we got more to listen to here. I don't know the. I don't know the song. No, but like this is this said. is my uh, this is my counterpoint to your counterpoint. So, <laughs> all right. Thanks for having me. Oh, Chris, great to see you. Thanks for thanks for joining. Great to see you. Great to hear you guys. Um, I will be a little sharper next time, but it was fun anyway. Oh no, it was you were perfect, man. That was it was so good. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, enjoy band practice, and uh, if you need any help setting up your mic, uh, you know, let me know. I've I've read some articles. I'm ready to help. All right, man. I, I'm you or someone because <laughs> I probably will. <laughs> Okay. Uh, all, right, all right, guys. We'll Take care. We'll see right. you. Good to okay. see you. Bye. Cheers. Well, that was the end of our discussion with Chris Newkirk, and we actually found out that Chris Newkirk liked a song we picked, and that was a, a really pleasant surprise. Yeah, and uh, I think also he uh, he wouldn't write a song like that, but we we discovered that he could write a song like that. So if we could ply Chris. Uh, to his trade and you know maybe bribe him a little bit we could get more songs like the next time i fall in love in the future originals and that's what excited me about the conversation i was thrown off uh, as you could hear in there when he uh decided that uh love like a road that never ends was a horrible lyric yeah i thought i thought you two were going to come to blows there yeah, well, uh, I don't want to end up in the hospital with a broken jaw and then have to change my whole speaking voice for this podcast. It could be the key to our success, though. You're right. You're right. Okay, well, this feels like a good spot to uh, to draw things to a close here. We had a great little conversation with uh, with our friend to the south, Chris Newkirk. And this has been Guilt-Free Pleasures with, uh, with Bill and Frank. And we just thank everyone for, for listening to us once again. And next time you listen to a podcast... We hope that you'll be listening to it with us. Ooh. Maybe falling in love. Sympathy.